Hello. Hello, Merlin man. Hello, Mike Hurley. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm very well. How are you? I'm very good. If I caught you on a on a, a not so busy day today, or are you just <laughs> always ready for my 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 call? I I need to rebrand. I, I need to make it clear to people that okay. I just like not doing things. Well, this is something. This is really important to me. I like doing this. This is very. It, I think there's only ever been two times in the history of command space where um, I've not had a guest, and today maybe one of the days. Who knows? I could receive an email later on this afternoon from the person saying, "Yeah, we're fine." It was just one of those ones where we never really 100% set a time. Mm. So, who knows what might happen? But I need a show because that's what the people tune in for, right? A show. Yeah, every week. it's important. It's important. It's it's, it's a beloved show. Oh, maybe by someone. It's an Me. important show. It helps a lot of people. I would like to think so. People mm, said so that last I. week's episode did. Me and me and Casey Liss had a nice discussion about... Oh, I haven't heard things. that. I like Casey. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know who he is, but I heard he's a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with whom he is. Schedule's an interesting thing. Oh, listen to me. Gavna. <laughs> um Saying about like the schedules of podcasts and stuff is something that I find I find it quite interesting the way that people kind of latch onto them. Mm-hmm. No, like, I, 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 no, I, I actually really I agree. It's I uh, I was on a podcast not too long ago where they're talking about it being a weekly show, and I said the stupidest thing where I was like, "Well, it ends up coming out weekly because that's we record it weekly." Well, of course it's weekly, but I mean, on the other hand, it's like we never signed anything that said it would be out every Tuesday. <laughs> But it's what you know? people expect. And and I think it's because of the way that people listen to shows, they listen to them when they commute, right? That, I mean, I know me personally, um, like, you know, uh, Wednesday morning is back to work, you know, and like Friday afternoon is ATP. Mm-hmm. Um, sometime in the week is the talk show. Um, you know, I, I just, I know that like the days or roughly the times or it gets to the end of the week, I'm like, there's no, no new episode of the talk show this week. And I kind of notice it because I know it's going to be somewhere in my queue. It's, it's an interesting feeling like to, to think about it as somebody who creates this stuff. Like, it, um, you know that with Bionic, we sometimes, we basically just record it whenever I can find a, a short time in Matt's extremely busy schedule these days because he's just too high-powered a business for me. Cha-ching. Um, people, it comes to about Thursday and people are like, is the show actually over now then? <laughs> I, I, I absolutely know and I, I, I absolutely know from both sides and I, I feel like I know both sides of it equally. I mean, the, the obvious one is I, I sometimes in the past have felt uh, the the phrase in the back when people had blogs the phrase people used was used to use was um, your posting volume. <laughs> I don't. Uh, you should really increase your posting volume, which you know, which wow, what a wonderful compliment for somebody to say. I wish you would make more stuff that I like to consume. It's a huge compliment, but it's also like, uh, you know, it's something I say to my daughter all the time. Like even if you don't know that it's true just always assume that everybody's always doing the best they can you know <laughs> i'm all, i am in my way always doing the best i can and you know i there may be reasons i i don't you know post to this site as much and maybe it's just because like today you know to even mention why is the beginning is the tacit beginning of a conversation and that's not a conversation i think is interesting and it's not a conversation i want to have it'll be out when it's out that's that's when it's out but 
having said that, when I get to Thursday and if there isn't a bionic and I'm like, Marco, how long does it take you to edit the show? Just get the show up. Uh, there's nothing I start, you know, it's like crack. I'm, I'm dragging down in Instacast and nothing's coming up and it's, you know, I'm going to have to go and start listening to PBS stuff at this point, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like I've got like 20 things in my list, but the one that I want isn't there. Where is it? It's also, it is, it is very strange that, you know, when I see like a talk show, like for example, the one with Glenn Fleischman and it was, it was two hours long. Mm -hmm. And the thing is I didn't even blink because I mean, it was, it was a fantastic episode, not least because Glenn Fleischman did something no one has ever been able to do before, (laughs) which is, which is to help me even just barely slightly one fifteenth understand what Bitcoin is and how it works. Even even listening to that show, I still feel slightly stupid because a lot of people rewind. are like, oh, I fully understand it now. Oh, no, I, no, I still don't fully understand. I, I understood about 70% of what he said on that episode. I feel like I understand it a bit more, but yeah. then I feel stupid for the people like, I 100% understand Bitcoin now. I was like, oh, I didn't. I can, I'll unpack that a little bit because I felt the same <laughs> way. And what I felt like, I now I, under, I think I understand why people are so enthusiastic about it because it is actually super duper interesting it's really weird very interesting but as i sit here and i went back and rewound i started in the shower where you don't really get to rewind very much and i went back and i listened to parts again and you know glenn's explanation sounded very lucid to me uh again i have no way of knowing but uh even then i still don't really exactly understand how it works because it's so different than, than what I'm used to thinking of in terms of how, you know, resources get moved around. But, you know, so hats off to those guys. That was great. I, but, you know, I mean, like a, like a long ATP, a long, you know, talk show, it's everybody's needs are different. I, I think your remark about the community thing is interesting because I, I don't commute. But I think you're right. I think it's become almost conventional wisdom that podcasts would never have gotten to where they are, such as they are, if it hadn't been for people needing something to fill the time. You know, it's it's so perfectly suited for a lot of people's commute, and uh, yeah. So so I mean, when I, I wonder if sometimes when people say, "Oh, you know, this ATP, like this hypercritical was only fourteen hours long," uh, or this uh, this ATP was only two and a half hours long, you know, it's because it didn't fill the time that they expected it to fill. They were they were thinking they'd get a round trip commute out of it, and now they're back to listening to In Our Time or something. I think that's a which is a great show. <laughs> In Our Time's my fallback. I don't know in all time. Oh, it's on. It's scheduled on the BBC. Oh, it's actually. You should. I learned about it from Dr. Drang, and uh, uh, you should oh, check it yeah. out. They, they bring in super duper smart people who actually know about a topic, and uh, they talk about some usually kind of ancient historical topic or something from you know something that's more than a hundred years old, and they get some, uh, as you say, boffins on there to talk about it. <laughs> Melvin Bragg. Wow. Is yeah, he? Uh, okay. Is his name? Yeah, he's just like old school BBC, you know. Wow. Well, a name like Melvin Bragg, of course he is. <laughs> the length, the length of of like shows you mentioned, like the two hour ATP. Like I think some of it as well is like, what? Just why would you want a good thing to end? Like the the, the when I first started making podcasts, I was like, right, keep them to thirty minutes. Keep them to thirty minutes. You know, you, that was all the advice, all the advice I ever got about you everything. Don't Take yeah. up too much time. You've got to keep you it keep it succinct. And, and you can't make a ten minute video. Nobody's gonna watch a ten minute interview. What's wrong with you? Thirty minutes max. Now I'm like eh, ninety minutes minimum. Because <laughs> I my my feeling is as as somebody who enjoys this sort of stuff is in my favorite shows. I always want to be longer than they are because mm-hmm. I enjoy listening to them. Um, and 
very rarely do people complain about the length in it. In it. <laughs> so she, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the length of episodes in a negative way. They're kind of just like, you know, oh, I wish there was more. I wish there was more. Like when we did our 900 hour episode of The Prompt. Which was awesome. Thank you. About the iPhone keynote. It worked because it it was so long. We were able to get everything in. Otherwise, it probably would have been cramped. It was longer than it was longer than the actual keynote. It's like two hours and forty two two hours and thirty five minutes long. <laughs> We're trying to trying to reach that bar set by uh, Syracuse and Dan for Goodfellas. Oh, was that like to make, three to make a podcast hours? a podcast longer than a really long movie <laughs> <laughs> about that movie? No, I, I I agree with you. Well, there's also something I, I think about this a lot. We just recorded, and as we as you and I are recording here, I just put up the latest Roderick on the line, and uh, I, I'm the guy who records it, and then you know very minimally edits it. Just basically decide you know where it starts, where it ends. Like try to line up the stuff. You know, I don't I don't do a lot of acrobatics. It really, honestly, it's constrained almost completely by how quickly it'll export out of GarageBand. Um, so really, honestly, from the time John and I hang up till it goes up, it's rarely more than an hour. It's frequently more like half an hour after we're done. I, I think you, with shows like this, tend to operate in a similar way, right? Yeah, it's like I, well, with this, I choose a specific endpoint. I know I end the show and then there may be conversation afterwards. Right. Um, which is, I mean, it happens, but I don't like to take up somebody's time. There's but also, don't you, don't you have like a mental model for different kinds of shows where like with John, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, you know, when you've listened to your pals on the, on a podcast, talk for, uh, you know, however long, an hour, hour and a half, each more or less week for a year, you start to know their rhythms and you start to, it becomes like, you don't really, ha- they don't, it's very, un- I, I don't sit there and watch a clock. The only clock I watch, like with Roderick, I, I start watching the clock around an hour because I would kind of just assume it not be two hours. I don't mind it being an hour and a half, but if I start watching the clock around an hour, I can look for a way to wrap it, you know? And it really, it wraps with me saying, you know, hitting the bell and, and saying to John, that was good, let's just stop there. You know, that was a good stopping point. But, you know, I think part of it is also there's a natural uh, use, as with any, uh, I don't even know what to call us, a certain kind of podcast. I mean, if you do, like, I don't know if you listen to Clockwise. I've started listening to the Macworld mm-hmm. podcast. I listen to Clockwise. I think it's a very clever idea. You know, it, it's it will not be more than half an hour, and that's the point of the show. But you know, mostly I think every if whether it's for tone, whether it's for relationships, or as I like to say, like the universe of that podcast, really pretentious. But you know, you will find a level, you will find a rhythm, and you'll know when it's time to go, right? And then and then if, if you do it in an artificial way, like Marco will occasionally do, to like you know, have a little fun at Casey's expense and say. All right, we want to thank our sponsors. <laughs> you know, and that's funny because you know that ordinarily they, they all sound depleted by the end of the show. Like <laughs> it's yeah. gone on. And now <laughs> now the show is over. It didn't even have to begin. And so, but I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is like I think a, a funny thing that we producers of podcasts, and yeah, so many people make it's not like a special badge or anything. Mm-hmm. Something we don't aren't always aware of though is that our listeners know us better than we do. In some cases, there are listeners to Roderick on the line who like know so much about that show. I mean, I love that show. I listen to that show. I, I like our show. But I, don't, I, I, I am a huge fan. I, I, I think I'm one of the biggest fans of Roderick on the line, but I still don't know it as well as some people. Our friend Captain Miriam, who's kind of the ad hoc uh, everything for the show. She's our historian, our librarian, our our folk artist. She, she'll remember like which episode there was a reference to punk rock Davy. Like, wh- how could you possibly remember that? 
Um, but anyway, I, I just think it, it's funny because like we have an idea when you and I start making a thing or anybody out there makes a thing, you have an idea in your head and you got a name for it and you got a, you know, a follow up or whatever, all the things that you want to do, you got your idea. But really in some ways it's the audience that decides what the show is or decides whether the show is the show, whether it's being done well. And for somebody who comes in late to that to go, oh my God, I never listened to two hour podcasts. Why would I do that? Well, it's because you haven't listened to it. Maybe it will never be your thing. But you might be surprised that you know they wouldn't be making that show two hours long and continuing to do it and succeed with it if it weren't something that appealed to people, right? It's yep. got a rhythm. Is what I'm saying. I think yeah. after a certain point, you start making the show for yourself, and I think that that's when shows either get really good or really bad. Like, start, did you say start or stop? Like you start to so, start making the show for yourself. Yeah, at first you're making yeah. it for for the audience, right? Because as well, I think what I've found is that you, you're never a hundred percent sure what the podcast actually is until you started making it. Or I guess it's probably the same of anything, but I've mainly made podcasts. Like once you actually, you have an idea, you have a vision for what you think it's going to be, but then once you start making it, it takes on a life of its own, and you, you know, then and then from that point, once you've worked, at, once you've clued that in on what your show actually is going to be. You then start making it for yourself, and I think that that's an important. I think that's an important transition, and then the length of the show gets dictated by that. You know, like you record a show that, that okay, I'm going, this is going to be a thirty minute show about X, and we're going to talk about Android ecosystems, mm-hmm. and then you get into the rhythm with your co-hosts, and after many episodes, you decide that you're going to diverge into creating fictional stories about Onan Volcano because that's just the way you see your show going over time and i think that's where it starts to change i think that's where stuff like that starts to get good actually for most people yeah i agree and it's um i again i'm referencing that interview with anche is that how you pronounce his name uh, i think it's anse uh, something like that but um I, where i think it is you know there's so much stuff that is like writing in some ways where even though i don't think of myself so much as a writer these days i wrote enough for a while to, to learn a little about it. And, and a lot of the stuff, I, I, the irony is that I had considered myself a, a, a writer um, for a long time before I got some of the really important stuff about being somebody who writes a lot. And there's one part of this, and boy, this just keys into so much stuff that I care a lot about, expertise, uh, experience, productivity, whatever you want to call it. There's this really basic thing when you're trying to write or you want to write, all you know is you want to write. Maybe you want to write something. But you discover, like, it, it's like it's like trying to squ- squeeze a handful of sand. You know, it, it will just go between your fingers unless you understand what it is you're dealing with. And the difficult part is maybe this is our upbringing. You know, maybe this is the way, at least in the U.S., the way we're raised to think about writing as this very almost mechanical process of you do research and you put on index cards and you make an outline and you do these things. Which is, you know, it's good. That's kind of like skiing on the Donald Duck Hill in a lot of ways. What you discover when you've done it long enough is that, you know, the, the, one of the most difficult things you need to do to get better at writing is to get faster and more confident about dropping the thing you thought you were going to write about or writing, to the, whether that's the topic or the length or the whatever. You know, a lot of the stuff that I ended up being happiest with from a, you know, two-paragraph blog post to like some kind of longer thing that I'm pseudo-famous for started out as something else. And what made me happy about that, it's nice to be done with it, but what makes me really happy is to go, oh, I needed to let go of my ego and my outline and let this thing become what it's going to be. It may not be perfect. It may not be great. It may not be timeless. But my role as a writer is to sit down long enough for this to turn into the thing that it wants to turn into when there's no 
conceivable way I could ever know what it would actually be. So I think for somebody who's trying to make their podcast good, that's, that's, a, that's not a bad way to look at it. Just keep doing it. Keep doing it. Don't worry about what sections of the show. Don't worry about the sound bites yet. You know, don't, you know, maybe don't even worry about sponsors at first. You know, w- w- worry, if you like, about doing it often enough and with your heart that eventually it will take a shape that you couldn't have expected. And you know, when I look back at things that didn't uh, go as well as I had hoped, I can often see that it's because I had, was trying to apply too much front-end ego loading of making this the way I thought it should be. And then I got frustrated because it didn't immediately become that. And I think that's true in writing. I think it's true in podcasting. I think it's true in music, whatever it is. Just put in the hours on it and then listen to what turned out well. And then, you know, be sensitive to that. Don't bang it to death. I don't know if I'm putting this well, but like I think every artistic, whatever, creative project is ultimately about something wanting to get out. And part of artistic growth that's interesting to me is is being able to to shed this, this one skin of what this thing you think it should be, because that's probably going to suck. Think about how many things you've done that turned out great, and you go, oh my God, I thought it was going to be this other thing, and that would have sucked. Mm-hmm. And instead, I let it become this other thing. And maybe it's not going to be great at first, but I promise you, pretty much promise you, that if you do that 10 times, that 11th time, you're going to be so much more confident about not overthinking, about not overplanning, about not overengineering, and you're just going to sit down and let the thing become what it's going to become. And you have that confidence and patience to let it evolve in the way that it wants to, uh, rather than you trying to engineer it into something that it never wanted to be. Can I ask you a personal question? Possibly. So you know you mentioned about like having something evolve and go the way you want it to be. Do you have any projects that you think that you didn't, that, that didn't happen on? And therefore, yeah. you like got rid of them. Or well, yeah. Them. I mean, there's one. There's one that you know about, where you know I I've got six episodes of a podcast with somebody that I really like that just isn't quite where I wanted it to be, and I think we'll probably try it again because I have so much confidence in what that could be that I you know I'm being really vague here. Um, and I'm not trying to commit to anything, people. But you know, but I, I do know, and I'll, I'll just something doesn't feel right about it. It's like the very, very occasional episode of Roderick on the Line, probably like three or four ever, two or three ever full episodes where I was like, hmm, I listened to this two or three times, and I'm not, you know, super into it. And which is a bummer because I should never trust my own instincts. My instincts are terrible. But yeah, sometimes absolutely, I'll try it, and I'll just go, well, maybe it's not the time right now. Like, what about you? Yeah. I mean, I've had whole shows, like whole catalogs of shows, you know, that I've released and put into the public. And I've stopped them after like 30 episodes because it just wasn't going anywhere. Or Mm -hmm. things that like after 150 episodes started to change for me or... Like you, I've had episodes as well. I finish episode and I'm like, oh God, that wasn't... That wasn't very good, but I I feel like in some of those instances I am my I am a harsher critic of myself. Like there are some episodes of Bionic, me and Matt finish, and we're like that was just atrocious. How can we let the world hear what we've just spoken about? And then they end up being the shows that people love, which is kind of strange. But like I wonder for you, do you like if you look back at like something like Forty Three Folders? Like you kind of just stopped it, right? Was did it was it because it changed or was it because you changed? Do you think? Um I don't have a, a single simple reason for that. Uh, I think I just I mean, I think I changed 
it changed and and really the environment changed and it's um i i just feel like the stuff that i do want to write about now and this goes back probably you know whatever how long how long it's been now a couple three years uh, since i was doing anything even remotely regular with it where like it doesn't feel like the venue for what i have to say and i have some level of confidence that i could recreate an audience with it if i chose to but i think a lot of people when they remember liking 43 folders they remember liking 43 folders in 2006 and you know that that's 8 years ago and it's not i don't want to like say the site is shuttered or anything cuz you never know mm-hmm. it's just that and and I I mean that's frustrating to people because they would like me. I actually get emails from people where they're like, "Why don't you just shut the site down?" And I'm like, "Well, why would I do that? That's kind of odd. Like that that's closure for you, but like I don't know. I I don't know what I want to do with it. And that is really frustrating and probably on some level a little bit unprofessional because you're supposed to have some kind of big hate quit thing or a big groaning like, "Oh, I just can't go on anymore," you know. And it, but no, I I um, you know, part of it's just my own mind blocks about stuff where. I just I feel like the environment has changed a lot and there are still blogs out there that I read where people post occasionally and they'll do like a thoughtful or pseudo thoughtful thing, you know, once or twice a week and I really enjoy them, but it's not like a like a pro blog. It's not like a thing where you're going to go like dedicate yourself to it. It's something where like what 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 Brent Simmons does, it's part of a creative process for him or writing about what he's doing with his programming, you know, evidences itself on his site and it's kind of a uh the process feeds on itself. I think it helps him to write about it. And help, he said as much. Like, it helps him to hear what people say about the problems he's trying to solve. I'm trying not to sound glib, but I feel like the audience for the kind of stuff that I used to write about is not, it's not the audience that I want to reach today. I, I mean, I feel like if I, if I wrote the kind of stuff that, got it, that was that sought to seek a big audience today on a regular basis, I would not be making stuff that I was all that thrilled about. And, and plus, I just don't have that much to say about productivity stuff. I think... Part of it is when you with the part where I changed is I started to realize how much of this is simple but not easy. And how many times can I say that this is simple, not easy? Well, I can do it once a week. I'm back to work, apparently. Yeah. But, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I mean, I love that site so much and I, I really like so much stuff that's up there. And I, you know, people uh, remember it fondly. And, you know, I, I do see myself getting into writing again. I just don't know of what. I mean, I, the kind of stuff I'd like to write is not the kind of stuff that would have, get a big audience. And I, I'm kind of okay with that. But given the hours in a day, you know, I'm not just going to go out and start, you know, five or six little vanity projects to just be able to say that I'm a quote unquote writer. You know, it is, you know, it's probably a time issue. What do you want to write? <sighs> I, I'm really interested in more uh, fictive worlds. I, you know, I, I felt like you were going to say that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, how much more is there to say at this point about about the productivity stuff? Like, I still love doing back to work because it helps me so much to hear my crazy thoughts out in the air and, you know, one time out of six be able to figure out, like, that it's there, why it's crazy, and what somebody could do about it. And my inbox tells me that other people, you know, seem to like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I just... Yeah, so this is all like therapy stuff at this point. But, you know, I mean, I would really like to write stuff like sketches. But then I think about, okay, well, how who, who would perform the sketch? Am I just going to write sketches? I don't really want to write a screenplay. I've thought about writing comics, but I don't know the first thing about writing comics. So, I mean, you know, the only thing is, you know, age is a factor. Because, I, you know, I don't know how many great years I, ha- I have in me. So I should probably be capitalizing on that. But that's the stuff that interests me. And to be honest, the stuff, if I really, to, what I'd really like to do is perform more. 
which is a pretty fancy way of saying, you know, do live shows with Roderick on the line. And um, I think I can say this. I'm working on a thing with Scott Simpson where we would do a thing. That's the kind of stuff I'd like to do. I love the writing, but I don't, I mean, I, I like having written things, but the most important part of the writing process is the hard work. And the hard work is hard. And it's it's something where like you it, it is kind of a young person's game in some ways. And if it's when it stops being a young person's game, it's because you've made it so much a part of who you are that it's just what you do every day. And it's not what I want to do every day right now. That's kind of a cop out, isn't it? No, I don't think so. Um, a little bit. I just wonder, like, did, did you transition out or did you just kind of burn out? Like, because you wrote, like, that was what you did. You wrote, and now I mean now you speak, right? So I don't know. Not as much as I used to, but yeah, no. sometimes. So, you know, and also the fiction stuff is interesting to me. Have you, have you ever written much fiction? No, I find it, in, it's like, to me, fiction, I mean, like, I, I think if I wrote anything, I'd, I would, this is all speculative at this point, but I mean, if I did write, I, I would be interested in writing something like short stories. You know, I like characters. Um, I, I like writing music. I like, you know, I'm not great at it, but I really enjoy it. Um but, you know, I, not to belabor it, but just the process of trying to write that book was, was really frustrating to me in so many ways. And to just address the personal part of it, it was very frustrating to me that I felt like I kept peeling away layers of the onion and getting closer and closer to what it is that I really wanted to say. A lot of which has come out in Back to Work over the past three years. Wow, is that right? Three years? Yeah. And... Um, but, you know, in terms of getting that and, and, and writing that down, I was constantly, I would hear this, as John says, like the Welsh troll, I would constantly hear this voice in my head about what I was doing wrong. That for a long time it was that I wasn't writing this book about email, even though I'd been given latitude to have it not be just about email. But I was constantly second-guessing myself. And for every layer of the onion that I felt like I was removing, getting closer to what this was about, I would find five more layers and then I would have to feel like I need to backtrack and explain wh- how I got to here. And it, it just became so hopelessly meta that there just weren't enough hours in the day to ever get enough peel off the onion. And, you know, and I had a pretty good work ethic about it. You know, I really, I spent a lot of time on it, but it wasn't always great time. And so, you know, it's like, like anything where you feel like you failed to do a thing you thought you could do. It's humbling and it's difficult and it makes you doubt yourself. So, you know, I, I don't know. That, that racket was hard on me. And I, I think I'll do it again maybe someday. But even in the time since whatever, 2009, think about how books have changed since then. I mean, really, so much. Back then, the idea of like putting out a Kindle-only edition or iBook-only edition of something would have been a, kind of a, a bit of a gamble and maybe even seemed like a bit of a hobby. Like, you wouldn't really be serious unless you were putting it out with a major you know, uh, publishing house. And now today that's just changed so much. So if I were going to write books today, I'd probably write short books and put them out electronically. But, you know, that's a lot of work. I, I've, got a, I've got a pretty high standard for myself with that stuff, and I think that's gotten in my way. Not to say I've ever been that great of a writer, but I, I, I know the feeling of being on my game, and I'm all too familiar with the feeling of being off my game. And it's difficult. Uh, I never got good enough at being a professional writer to really stick through the months where it wasn't going well, not just the hours that it wasn't going well. And it, it just wore me down. And, you know, and I think in part that really took some of the, some of the joy out of it for me. Nobody's fault but my own, but uh, me and my dumb brain. But that's burnt out. Yeah, for a while, definitely burnt out. But, um, but also, I just, I don't know what I would have to say today for the audience that's out there, you know? 
did, 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 does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking this. Like, I feel like to call to call what forty three folders was, and even what you do on back to work, like productivity blogging or, or podcasting, is not kind of what it is anymore. Because when you hear that, it's not what you don't associate it with the same stuff. Like productivity blogging now is ten tips to turbocharge your email responding. Like it's not what it used to be and, and kind of what you do, which is more sort of thoughtful things. It's kind of like productivity classic or something, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. I mean, the stuff that we, that I get, like when somebody wants to potentially have me do a talk or a visit with their company or something, I, you know, I always, frequently when people will come in and say something like they want inbox zero or, you know, one of my better known, like a time and attention talk or something. I'm, you know, I'm happy to talk to them about that, but I always end up saying, well, can I tell you about some stuff I'm really most excited about right now? The stuff I have the freshest thoughts about. And the, and the folks who want to talk about that, obviously, are the ones that are most interesting um, to me, the projects I find most interesting. It's just, There's a funny thing that happens um, where, like, in the past, uh, I've enjoyed smoking cigars. Um, I don't smoke them nearly like I used to. I haven't had one in weeks. But, you know, the problem is, like, the people that you meet when you smoke cigars are really weird and sometimes kind of crummy people. Like you end up like if you think about like who smokes a cigar, like what Jimmy Seville, like you know, think about is that his name? Jimmy Savile, close. Savile, Savile. Ah, oh, sorry, sorry. Jim will fix it. Um, <laughs> oh, hopefully not. Yeah, but I mean, you think about that, and the, and it's weird because like it, you start to think about like you know. You know, would you want to like marry somebody that you met in a bar you've never been to? Like, would you want to become somebody who who does this thing that puts you in proximity to people that you're not really that into? Well, maybe that's a that's a clue in some ways that maybe that's not a good thing for you to be doing, right? And I guess like, an obvious example would be like needle drugs. Like, oh, I enjoy. I don't, but I enjoy needle drugs. <laughs> I love me a good needle drug. Here's the thing about needle drugs. <laughs> a lot of people are going to say don't do it because the blood has a contagion issue. Um, Looky-loos, we call them. But uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like, like today, like to, to, to pick up the mantle of being a, a productivity blogger would put me in proximity with neighborhoods I don't necessarily want to be in. As you say, I mean, I, I, you can. It's easy to overstate this, but there's a reason Upworthy is such a popular site. There's been a reason for years that Lifehacker is such a problem. This is, I mean, I, I'd like to think that I was on the forefront of making fun of Lifehacker many years ago, um, but that's that's a certain kind of very mindful assembly line content production that makes a lot of people really happy. It's just that I don't. Not only do I not want to do that, but by the nature of what I find interesting, it would be really caustic and dangerous for me to do that right it's not even just a matter of like smoking these is bad for my health like in that case like making spending spending my time and i certainly struggle with this at times at 43 folders for me to create a site that in order to be like a money-making site i got to have two or three posts a day about how to use your time well there's something about that that's a little bit sketchy you know but then on the other hand the stuff that does interest me thinking about things like resistance uh fear and anxiety uh, overthinking things, all those kinds of things. Well, now do I want to be in the club of people who are writing about creativity and fear? Like, you know what I mean? I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I want to sit at that lunch table either. Do you know what I'm saying? No, I do actually. I, I get. No, it. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm. But like, for example, like I guess what I'm saying is, like I, 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 
a nice compliment that I've gotten from people that always makes me feel mostly good is when they say, I usually hate the kind of stuff that you do, the kind of stuff. I don't like the genre in which you ply your trade, but I like what you do. And I've said that that's, that's the biggest compliment you can pay somebody in some ways is like, I, I really, uh, I really hate dubstep, but I like your record or whatever. And when people say that to me, that, I think that is a huge compliment. But it also means that, you know, now do, do you want to be the guy who's out there, you know, has yet another blog about how to be creative? I mean, you know, kill me, you know? So, I don't know. This is probably not very useful. I have, an, I have a question, but I'm going to do a tease. So, I have a question. I don't know if that's a tease, right? Oh, I have a question. That's a good not, tease. That's show. a pretty good tease. So, <laughs> We're going to come back to that after, I think, our sponsor for this week. Can you guess who it is? Squarespace. That's who it Squarespace. is. Squarespace. Squarespace. They are the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own website on the internet. For a free trial and 10% off, go to Squarespace and use the offer code known for. It's a new one. We're breaking out a tally-ho. We've got known for. That's K-N-O-W-N-F-O. Known for. Yeah, what do you like to be known for? Oh. <laughs> so there you go. Merlin, what do you like to be known for? Hello. Hello. Squarespace is constantly updating their fantastic platform with new features, designs, and more fantastic support. They have beautiful templates that you can get started with over at Squarespace, and they give you a bunch of style options that you can adjust so you can really create your own space online. If you want to change the way that your site looks, if you want to take, pick one of their beautiful templates and you want to change some of the colors, you maybe want to change the fonts, maybe you want to change the layout a bit, well, it's all easy to do. It's all drag and drop. You see everything happen live in the web page in front of you before you push it out to the world. I find that the best way to create a website. I don't know all of the code things that a lot of you people do, and this makes it really easy for me because I don't need to worry about picking up a CSS for dummies or something like that. I can just go into Squarespace. I can tinker around with a few things and publish stuff live to the site. But, of course, if you do know all of the code stuff, then you can dig in and you can change a bunch of that. And Squarespace make it really easy. So you can take advantage of their rock-solid hosting platform, for example, and their 24-7 support, which we'll talk about in a minute, but still make it look exactly as you want. It's very flexible, and that's one of the things that I love about Squarespace. They also make sure that all sites look fantastic on any device because every Squarespace website, every uh, beautiful design that they have, includes its own unique mobile responsive design too. You can easily connect with your favorite web and social services like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and many more. So you can pull content in. You can display a gallery of your recent images on Instagram if you like, or you can push content out so you've published to your blog. It can tweet automatically for you. All of that stuff's built right in. You don't need to worry about plugins from the various third parties. It's all built into the Squarespace platform. Squarespace is super easy to use, but if you need any help, they have over 70 dedicated employees in their customer care team. They're based in New York City, and they're available for live chat during the week, have super fast email support throughout the day and night, and they're really active on Twitter too. So whoever you want to get hold of them, you can. And they have, if you don't want to talk to anyone, they have fantastic knowledge bases and FAQs, so you can dig through that stuff on your own if you'd like. As I said earlier, you can try out Squarespace for free. There's no credit card required to do this. And if you decide to purchase, it starts at just $8 a month and it includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Make sure that you get 10% off and support this show by using the offer code KNOWNFOR. That's K-N-O-N-W-F-O-R. Thank you so much to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and their continued support of Command Space. Hello, Merlin. Hello. I was on Squarespace when you contacted me. 
Oh well, look at that. <clears throat> I was putting up uh, an episode of Roderick on the Line. I was I was tweaking, tweaking, tweaking the the code stuff, mm. as you say. Mm. I don't. Can you tell I don't understand these things? Code I, stuff. Code things. Like I've I honestly used Squarespace for a long time before I was even a popular podcaster on the internet. <laughs> Well, what more can you say? Exactly. I mean, that's a recommendation. This is the thing. You don't have to be as popular as Mike to use it. Exactly. Anybody. It can use it for the little people. <laughs> Squarespace. It's even for unpopular people. <laughs> They're just going to have to run with that. So you mentioned something earlier about you wanted to. You were talking about writing things, and you were talking about the high level of standards you have for yourself when it comes to writing things. Now, this... This question doesn't sound as I want it to sound. It isn't a loaded question, but are your standards, do you have different levels of standards for podcasts, for speaking, than you do for writing? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why is that, do you think? Um, because the, the media are so, are so different. Um, you know, it's, that's, you know, podcasting is, gosh, it's almost, it's, it is a lot. <clears throat> well, I mean, with podcasting, I feel like it's been successful. Whereas I feel the one way it's the same, maybe, is that with writing, I feel like if I unintentionally said something I didn't know I wanted to say, I've done a, a good job. And, you know, thank the stars that that turned out better than I expected because it wasn't about what I thought it was going to be. And in, anybody who's done this for a while, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And in, in that sense, that, I think a successful podcast feels the same way where if it's back to work and we ended up talking about something I didn't know I cared about, uh, that makes me feel really good. If I'm just out there, you know, reciting, you know, s- these f- same five bullet points about some 10-year-old topic, that's not as fun. Um, I think, you know, for, for me, the bar for all of them is... Well, the first level of it, the first bar, if you like, or the first big step, the first analogy, is that I, um, I, I hope that I said what I maybe even didn't realize I wanted to say. I hope I said it, and I hope I got it out there. The, bar that, the part that makes it difficult is I hope I said it well and with polish. And the standard on, on writing that stuff, and I, again, I'm, I'm not trying to put myself out there as like being like a great writer. It's just that I know in my heart like if I felt this turned out well or not. If I, if I don't intensely hate this a day after I've posted it, I feel like it's kind of a win. And uh, well, with the writing stuff, like, you know, the, the, this is, uh, it's like, you know, once you've written for a while, it's just enough to ruin you for life because you start going out and reading some of these, you know, like newspaper blogs and stuff where people have barely even finished typing it before they've hit post. And you're like, oh, how did you, how did you miss that? How did you miss that there, there mix up? How did you, like, how did you, did anybody read this? Did you see that this doesn't make any sense? Did you see that you mostly are just pasting, you know, you're just mostly pasting in people's toots? to do some kind of Vox Populi thing. Like that's, it's so weak. And for me, like if, you know, with, I, I like the idea of polish and, you know, I guess, you know, the thing that's disappointing to me is I feel like right about the time I stopped writing as much, I was just getting close to the point where I just kind of barely started to shed a lot of my bad habits in writing. And I hope that when I do pick it back up again, I'll be able to quickly uh, lose those habits again. Cause I see them now when I read things that I, I wrote, in you know, in the last whatever eight, ten years, I just go, oh God, I did that again. I did that thing again. Oh, I hate when I do that. You know, and uh, but with all of them, it's a, it's something that, the the bar that I feel like I never achieve that I really admire in other people is that polish, especially in talks. My talks are so random and weird, and no matter how hard I practice them, no matter how much I rehearse and look at the slides, do the whole nine, you know, I still get what makes the 
talking part fun for me and hopefully interesting for the audience is that it, it's live. It's it's there. It's happening now. I'm saying things I've never said before. I'm saying things you might not have heard before. You might not have heard in this way. And, you know, I think the conventional wisdom in, the, in a similar way to the way we were taught to write is to do it in this very prescriptive step-by-step way and then present it in exactly the same kind of uh, – relatively beige way. Some people get great at that and they can keep it lively every time they do that talk, but it's, it's really hard to do. And I think, I think there's a balance. Did you see, um, for example, um, Ryan North, right? He's the adventure time mm-hmm. writer. Mm-hmm. Did you see his time travel talk, his TEDx talk? No. Oh man, you should put it in show notes. It's really good. Like what, you know, what you should need to know if you're going to time travel. A time he travel has, is primer. So what is yeah. Called? Okay. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. He's 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 a real smarty pants and a really smart guy and and but like a, a really great speaker because he's not like a speaker he's not like a big white toothed guy you know very natural very human uh, way of presenting and, and and as fun as it is and nerdy as the talk is it ends up in a place that you wouldn't have expected that's really heartwarming in, in a non cheesy way so when I see somebody see a talk like that that's when I'm like yes. Ding. Like, you got it. That's really good. I mean, Malcolm Gladwell is a fantastic presenter, but he's going to do a Malcolm Gladwell talk, and, you know, it's, it's going to be unusual, I think, for him to go real off script about something that's just on his mind because he's a professional. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the performance part, there's a, there's a really a wonderful book that I always feel like I should mention called Presentation Zen by Gar Reynolds. And that book was a little bit, little bit transformative for me because it made me realize something you know, in terms of talks and presentations, realize something I should have realized all along, which is that it's a show and that the slides are just one part of that. The slides are one piece of the media that you can use to tell that story, to, to you know, to do that thing. And so um, that I'm always, I, I love watching a good talk because there are so many that aren't that good and people try so hard, but it takes a real gift to be able to do that and to be able to do it with polish but have it not feel canned, that's the bar for me with those things but yeah yeah to answer your question yeah they are all different like whereas with music like i'm not a great singer i'm not a great guitar player if i write a catchy pop song i'm pretty happy that i even got it done that's that bar's fine for me presentations is a funny thing for me at the moment so i still work in a suit and tie job um in, mm-hmm. the, day, in the daytime hopefully for not too much longer but these things you know they have a way of working themselves out and i have to give presentations as part of my corporate corporate jobby job and I drive. I think I drive people mad because I don't like to present the way that most people in my environments will present. So absolutely every word that comes out of your mouth is on the PowerPoint slide, right? That's the way that you're expected to present. That's that's the standard. Because then you can read it or you can you know distribute it after the the, the meeting, where I like just throw up words because I, I look at people like I watch talks by people like you, and so the slides are like they are like a fun thing to look at whilst you should be concentrating on the words that I'm saying I, th- I think that's you know kind of when I watch these talks by people that I admire in the technology industry and stuff like that and design and creative people that's the way that that presentations are put together and it, I think it kind of frustrates people a little bit but I couldn't do it any other way because I hate I, I just hate being in these meetings and like if you were going to write all of that on there you could have just sent it to me and saved me nine hours like mm-hmm. I don't need to be here if all you're going to do is just read to me something you could have sent to me so I like to to just 
have them, I have visuals and I have like, you know, this is an email that I'm creating to send to our customer base and I show what the email looks like as opposed to being these are the 12 reasons that I chose this email design, you know. I think it's a, a funny thing, but I think it's just a, a, a thing about me which can be good and bad depending on, on who looks at it is that I just march to the beat of my own drum. And it can yeah. Be crazy, but. I think it's a pair. I'm, I'm totally with you. And I think it goes to something, something that's kind of a paradox at the center of probably corporate, corporate, but definitely like most presentation cultures, a basic paradox, which is that on the one hand, you know, if you think about how many, how many uh, presentations you've seen that not to be unkind, but a lot of the times they are essentially an inefficient three-page report presented orally. Yep. That's really what it really is almost as though somebody sat down with three pages or five pages that they printed out of Microsoft Word. And it sometimes really feels like they sat there with scissors and cut those into, you know, one or two paragraph sections and then put them in order and then made them into slides. And that to me is indistinguishable from most presentations, which I think if you ask anybody out there, almost everybody would say, wow, that's really dry. That's really boring. I wish that could be, you know, it seems like a waste of time, all the person hours to be in there to basically sit there and read this, you know, yellow print on a purple background with like 35 bullets. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is, this is, this is a report or maybe really, this is really more the outline for something that could have been a lot shorter and punchier, but they don't tell a story. You know, but that's the paradox, though, is that if somebody does come in and they get a little too cute about it, that's super annoying. Yeah. Like you wouldn't want somebody to come in there and and think that they're Al Gore or to think that they're uh, what's his name, uh, Stefan Sagmeister? Is that his name? You ever seen that guy? He does the super fast slides. He, it's like he he he'll have like five slides for every sentence and he's just hitting the arrow key the entire time he's talking. It's one of those things like Joni Mitchell or Bob Dylan where like, thank God those people exist, but please stop imitating them. Please stop imitating yeah. Joni Mitchell. She did it. Now you go do something else. But if everybody did that in a company, it would be completely frustrating. But that culture, and I don't mean this as a value judgment, except that I probably do, is that, you know, that's, that's what's okay. That's how we talk to each other. And, you know, I, I've, been in presentations where it's 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 obvious that like there's there's this line to be walked where there's certain kinds of things that that you want people to notice things that you want to have said but you can't be too on the nose about it it's got it has to if it's not a little bit obfuscated it's almost like it's not businesslike and but I think the paradox is that it's an inefficient way to present information um, without the human component that could make a presentation so interesting. You wouldn't want somebody to come in there and start crying when they're doing a talk. That would be super weird. <laughs> <laughs> I have done that a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Quarter three is not looking I just good. want a bigger budget. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, this would be Mr. or Ms., depending on whether it's a man or woman. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's I, I'm so far outside of that culture that when I when I... It's, it's such a strange thing to like feel like I, you know, I have been in, in, in cultures like that. I mean, we all have. We've all been in you know, office or corporate environments where there's so much perplexing stuff going on where you're like, wow, everybody acts this really same weird way and acts like it's normal. And it, you know, it becomes like ideology. It's like kind of invisible. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure what the answer is because you don't want to be cute. 
But, you know, the, the other book I'm always mentioning, and forgive me, because whenever I talk about presentations, these same two books come up, The Presentation Zen by Gar Reynolds, and another book uh, called uh, Beyond Bullet Points, that it's a Microsoft Press book. That you know, that, that book is kind of annoying in some ways, but the reason I love Beyond Bullet Points is it helps you get your head around the idea that every presentation is telling a story. Right, that basically, like everybody out there, you have to figure out. And I really, if you're struggling, if you're like at a <sighs> novice, even intermediate level, really consider checking out the oldest version of this book you can find because it gets more Microsofted up with each edition. But the basic idea is you have to like lay out this outline in your head of like, here's the situation that we're in, here's the challenge that we're faced with. You and the audience are the protagonists of this story, and I'm going to tell you a story about how we go from this one place to this other place. I'm going to have these three points that I amplify. I'm going to come back to show you why this solution is a good solution, and so forth. And it's a great kind of paper prototype, like a straw man. Like if you were to do this outline for your next presentation and then throw it away (laughs) in favor of something more graphical and fun, you could do that. But I think a lot of times people go in there and it really is like reading a memo to a room full of people. There isn't a story to it. And, and, you know, what's, what's the, the bottom line? The bottom line is if there were something really moving and surprising in that presentation, that would be a failure. Like nobody in that room wants to find something out from a presentation. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Think about corporate culture, which you you know are are butt deep in. Mm. You know every everybody everybody you know never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Like uh, everybody in there, if they find out that these that you're I guess in your case you're you do marketing, right? I do, yeah. <laughs> okay, but I'm no 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 no. I just mean in the sense that like if you were to go in there and say that like there's been you know if we look at the last two years of your work. And the click-throughs on your emails are this percentage. If you went in there and announced like 20% bigger click-throughs or 20% smaller numbers of click-throughs, that would probably be really jarring to at least one person in that room. You wouldn't want to announce it that way, especially if your boss were there. You're there to go tell people stuff that's pretty much exactly what they know except for this one thing. And that's a terrible, <laughs> that's a terrible show to watch. Am I, am, I, am I being too dramatic about that? No, <laughs> no, I don't think so because I still do them every day. Like a lot of my presentations are to justify a thing that's going to happen every, anyway and everybody knows it's going to happen. And it's like the presentation exists as just a method to put to nail myself to the wall over it, you know? Like everybody it's, knows. It's your, it's, it's, your, it's your contract with them to yeah. kind of publicly present this and they're vetting it and saying, sounds good, I might mm-hmm. run with that. Like budget's been assigned already. But this is going to you know to top bod person here, so they can so they can put their seal of approval on it. But you've already started the work. Like it's there's so many things about the way that these presentations and this sort of culture works. Is it all kind of seems? Oh, I really hope that I, nobody at work have listened to this. Everything that I seem to do feels fake. Like, and I think that that's the thing that a lot of creative people I feel struggle with in these sort of big cultures. Is it all just feels like it's all just not real. Like none of it is not not but so but you don't mean fake as in like untrue but fake as in like it's all it it's uh as my friend used to say all wrapping and no presents like it, it's yeah. all like it's administrivia it's you know it's uh, perfunctoriness it's mm-hmm. all of these things where you're just you're going through it's almost like being in a royal court where it's really about yep. the way that you perform in in front of the regal um, the regent and 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 not so much you don't want to say anything that's too provocative but even a lot of the words don't actually exist like the words that you use aren't real words they're made up words 
and made up right. terms and phrases that mean something to the people within it, but they actually don't mean anything. Like the words are fake. And that's something that I really struggle with, you know, like um, you need all the businessisms, right? The, the, the corporate speak that yeah. occurs like, oh, touch base and <laughs> ping me. And stuff like that, like the, impactful. Yeah, um, <laughs> this is a, this is going to be a highly impactful experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what should you know what should be impacted? Teeth. <laughs> you impact should if you're using that as a transitive verb, you, you just shouldn't be allowed to talk anymore. No, but you're right. But I mean, it's it's something where it's like the dress code. In some ways, and I, I'm, I'm I'm sorry to sound so disparaging, but it, it is kind of soul gutting to have to be around that stuff all the time. So you feel like you're a crazy person, yeah. Because you know, if you're speaking in a way that's completely comfortable to everybody, you may not be saying anything super interesting. Yeah, and I maybe do feel that's like, part of the job. Like I'm insane. Like I feel like I'm the mad one. You know, because I'm the like the one who wants to maybe try and do things a little bit differently to everybody else does them. And then I kind of get seen as like the crazy person when I should feel like, in my opinion, like I'm then the same one. I feel like there's <laughs> there's some sort of like Toy Story reference here, like I'm Buzz Lightyear or something. Like you know, I'm I'm a real person. Uh, it's it's a, it's very strange like to work in these environments. I think as someone who is a creative person, and I feel like a lot of people listening, I would I would hope would share. In, in what I'm kind of getting at, and I think, it's, I think it's something that you and Dan talk about quite a lot. It's like this just this interesting method of people who are creative or they work in a specific way that doesn't necessarily match with the environment which they're in. You know, people that maybe work better at night, but are told they have to work from nine to five, and it's like right. a, it's a very interesting sort of thing to be like you're pigeonholed into this certain way. But nobody else. But it's almost like nobody else seems to mind as much as you. That's that's the part yeah. that, that I was that would make me feel most crazy was like, you know, everybody belly aches about different kinds of things, but it, you know, it's something that a lot of people uh, seem really okay with. They're professionals, like they understand that's just how it goes. But there's a um, <laughs> there's a sponsor on public radio. I think on on the media, on the media gets the most execrable sponsors, and they had it was it's some Microsoft thing, and every time I hear it, I feel like I'm having a stroke because they said it's Microsoft Doodly D, uh, you know, specializing in something. I'm doing this from memory, but it's something like big data, big data, um, big data, social cloud, and platform. Like, oh, what? platform! You say <laughs> they're just they're just saying words. <laughs> what, is, what does that mean? Yeah. You're, in platform, what and and the thing is, like I, you know, people like John Moltz roll their eyes when I make fun of the word enterprise because for people who are in enterprise, to me that just means big company. But that has that's a term of art. It really does mean something. Enterprise versus consumer, or however you slice and dice it. But you know, the the inevitable outcome of a lot of this, again, not to slag, but I mean, is that you get to where the words, you know, it's one thing to start adopting a certain way of speaking like that so that you'll fit in in the same way that, you know, you wouldn't wear your, you know, uh, your, your board shorts to work. Like you have to be able to fit in and not look like a, like a weirdo, but I don't think it's that many steps to go from, boy, this seems really weird. I guess I need to speak in this patois to beginning to speak in that patois to becoming really good and articulate quote unquote, at speaking in that patois to waking up one day and not realizing that for two years you've mostly been saying things saying, saying things that don't really mean anything. Yeah. You know, and, and it's at that point it's 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 pretty hard to go back. But you know, I honestly I don't think that stresses out 
as many people as we probably think. I mean, when I go into a place and I, I honestly feel like somebody's gaslighting me. I've been in presentations at companies I'm speaking at. Well, I go and I sneak in and watch what people are saying before I come up, and I, I feel like I feel like it's a prank, like I'm getting punked or something. When people talk about you know experiencing enterprise big data, yeah. and I'm just like, what? What is it? You mean you just you draw a picture of a cloud and it adds two zeros? Whoa! Like, <laughs> it's it like I, you know, I work in a building full of, and I know again, I know many people do. I see it every day with thousands of people in it, and I honestly feel like I'm in a single digit percentage of people that think the way that I do. But I do think that there's a large double digit percentage of people listening to the show that think the way that that me and you do about these sort of things, because it's there seems to be some sort of correlation there, right? But I'm kind of I'm in the elevator and I'm going up to to like to my floor, and I'm hearing people talk, and I'm like, well, I don't even understand what you're saying. You two are having a conversation, and I don't know what any of it means. And you're speaking I, I get that on, I get that on planes. Yeah. And you know, occasionally maybe like a bar, but sometimes I'll overhear two people talking. And, you know, even being somebody who's trying hard to be a good person and not just roll their eyes at everybody, I do really try. But sometimes I'm just like, I, I can't believe you're both speaking the same completely empty patois with each other. It just, you know, why don't you say things that you really, that really mean something, you know? But... You know, I have to say, the fault is with us. You know, we, we are the oddballs in this. And, and, and probably to those folks, we sound real sophomoric, very childlike in our inability to set aside our preferences and artistic ways in order to conduct ourselves in the way that makes sense to everybody else in the company. Yeah, like I know I'm at I'm I'm fault, you know, when, when I'm the one who's getting really frustrated and, and kind of throwing my toys out the pram and refusing to do things in the way that is 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 sort of dictated from high. I know I'm being the difficult one. I I, I mean, I can accept that, you know, but it's, I, I think a, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, I think it's just about what I want to put in the world and how I want to make it. And I think me as a person, I'm kind of strong-willed in that regard. So I make a choice that way to, to, to conduct myself in a certain way, no matter what the outcome might be of it, because my principles are, are maybe higher than they should be, or to a point where they will one day come back and bite me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you gotta quit. You gotta quit your job. Yeah, because oh, you to don't. Do. I'm just kidding. Yeah, don't don't quit. Don't quit your job unless quitting your job is actually the right thing to do. That that's uh, it's almost never the right thing to do. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's an old back-to-work thing, at least a Merlin back-to-work thing. I think a damn thing. It, it's just that, you know, it's the, the, the last thing that most of us are comfortable looking at is, is what's messed up about us. And so in this instance, you and I are sitting here and making fun of all these douchebags. And, uh, you know, everybody else seems to be fine with that. Well, you know, we're the, we're the round peg in the non-existent hole. You know, everybody else is doing just fine. It's, you know, the problem with the whole quitting thing, just in passing, I think, is that, you know, like I like to say, you know, every time you travel, you're in the, the old you is in the suitcase with you. You don't you don't get to just change your whole life just because you go, hey, quit a job. There's there's something like what was it that you couldn't make work about that, and and what in God's name makes you think it'll ever be any different until you figure out what's wrong with you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, Merlin, man, mm, penetrating. I feel like when I talk to you, I just need to let all of my airs and grievances out with the world. Are you wearing a bathrobe? What are you wearing? Um, I'm I'm wearing a Bacon Method T-shirt right now. Hmm. So we have I've got that going for me. 
Just just the shirt? Um, and some sweatpants. <laughs> Sweat trousers? Because <laughs> pants are a term of art there, right? Uh, well, yeah, the, that's, the pants are what's underneath. Are the, pants pants are pants synonymous with knickers in the impactful experience of being British? Yes. Okay. But, but knickers are for ladies. Mmm. Men's pants. <laughs> <laughs> Merlin, what do you like to be known for these days? Hello. What do you like to be known for? What, what, what are you most proud of right now that you're making? Tweets? No. I don't know. I mean, my uh, my daughter and I made a grocery store yesterday that was pretty plausible. <laughs> yeah? What was it called? Yeah. What was the name of the grocery store? That's Eleanor's Grocery Store. That's what it's always called. <laughs> what is your job in the grocery store? Do you, are you a customer or are you an employee? Oh, I play. I'm. Uh, I think you're not a D and D guy. I'm. A, I'm a my mini non-player characters plus daddy. So I could be. I'm the guy who has to be going the horse-drawn cart to go to the ball that's involved with the supermarket. So I could also. I might also be uh, the king, uh, but I would also be somebody who's buying groceries uh, from the grocery store. You, you understand this? All gets. It's all. It's like tripping. Basically, having a child. It's like tripping all the time. Not in a good way. Uh, but I'm. I'm everyone. I'm everyone involved in whoever. Whoever I need to be. It's a highly impactful experience. Do you believe that your daughter is, is set on, on a solid business ma- uh, plan and model for the? No, she's got a lot of problems with the store. I, mm. I'm probably talking out of school. First of all, she's selling plastic vegetables, <laughs> uh, and also she she has very little sense of what to charge for anything. Mm. But um, but it's you know it's 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 a lot of fun. What am I proud of? I don't know. I uh, I like I like the podcast that I do. I, I should do more stuff, shouldn't I? I think everyone wants you to. If yeah. you want to, I'm going to. Well, maybe I'll have a project. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll kickstart something. Do you know what I've heard? That's the thing. <laughs> maybe you could. I don't know. Fans, listener support. That's a crowd, crowdfund source. Crowdfund source the experience. Where can I'll people find you, up. Merlin? Where are you on the internet? Oh, I need to update everything. Um, <clears throat> uh, uh, you can find me on uh, on Twitter. Uh, you, I'm on uh, websites, and I got email. So I don't know. I, I should update MerlinMan.com, which is a, a, a Squarespace site that needs to be updated. But um, go listen to uh, Roderick on the Line. It's a really good show. One of my very favorites. Yeah, John, you know John and I talked about this week. Well, I you want to know? Yeah. Do you want to know? I know. No, it just came out. You want to know? What was it? iPhone. You talk about the iPhone. Oh. Uh-huh. So in specific, is it John's oh, iPhone oh, or all of it? Oh it's, oh, it's a deep dive, my friend. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I think we, I'm going to listen straight after. <laughs> we, we let our witch out, my friend. <laughs> wow. Do you, are you a pundit? Are you a pundit again? No, no. I'm just a desperate man. <laughs> <laughs> I, notice, I notice you on the Twitter, and we've talked a little bit in our offline man calls. I know we've had some of the same sufferings Depression. or similar sufferings. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Mm. yeah. Merlin, mm. thank you. Oh, thank you, I, Michael. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate you thinking of me. It's I, I, I love your shows. Everybody should listen to everything you do. And you listener out there, um, I hope that you've enjoyed this um, this episode of Command Space, which I don't know if you could tell. We put it together, me and Merlin. We, we battled through this together. In four minutes. In four minutes. Hey, are you free today? Yes. Great. <laughs> and that's that. <laughs> that's how podcasts are made, everyone. Um, if you want to find the show notes for this week's episode, you can go to 5x5.tv slash cmdspace slash 90. Thank you very much to Squarespace for sponsoring this week's episode. And if you want to find me online, 
I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. The Y is very important. I'll be back next week for another episode of Command Space, or this week. There might be another one. No one's really sure yet. You'll know, but right now I don't. Thank you. Bye-bye.